0: Influencers for Good is a new ethical news platform dedicated to featuring incredible people doing incredible things for the planet according to five thematic pillars people, planet, products, purpose, ideas and solutions. It is time to bring followers to what matters most our planet and the good people working hard to protect it. A lot of the people and ideas featured on our platform and podcast don't have millions of followers, but they should. The problem is that they're too busy working really hard and we are here to give them a lift up with your help. So don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share when you like our work. Welcome back to Influencers for Good. Today we have a very special guest all the way from Guatemala, my dear friend, Tono Aguilar, whom I met a bunch of years ago, um, waiting for a taxi ride in Mexico, actually. (laughs) Welcome back, Tono, it's really good to have you here. How are you?
1: Likewise. Thank you, Natasha. I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, very happy to, to talk to you.
0: When I invited you in Influences for Good, is because I told you before, I think that all the things that you do really represent all the, the, the pillars that Influences for Good wants to stand for. People, planet, purpose, ideas and solutions, and then creating products that are also um, in line and harmony with the planet. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? And how did you
1: get there? Uh, well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I'm currently president of Casa. I, I founded Casa. Casa is a, a leading sustainable construction company in Guatemala. Uh, and, you know, I got here through a, a series of, of different steps and iterations in trying to find out what purpose meant for me and how I could best use my uh, my short time on earth to work on things that I really cared about. Because ultimately uh, the, the purpose – is not, I mean, the purpose for me is not just a, a phrase, you know, kind of like a feel-good phrase that's that's kind of put in in contrast to people's meaningless jobs or like how they feel like their jo- lives are meaningless. Like uh, it's not just about your job. Like if you, your job doesn't give you meaning, like it's much deeper than that for me. It's always why are we here? Why why am I here? Like uh, So that's why I studied astrophysics. That's where I started my first attempt to try to answer that question. When I was in school, I was really good at math. So I thought, what what career, what can I study that comes closest to answering why are we here? When did it start? Uh, Where is it all going? Uh, So I thought astrophysics, and that was really interesting to me. So I, I went to Harvard. That's uh, I I got a scholarship to go there. I studied in all my life in Guatemala. So I only went up to university. Uh, I got a scholarship, so that was great, uh, and that made that made it possible for me to go. And then but then I realized all those philosophical questions. Harvard uh, for four years, I got a master's and a, and a bachelor's because uh, I had done some advanced testing in Guatemala. So I was really great and was able to really like go deep, like all, everything Harvard had to teach about astrophysics. And they did not have answers to my questions. Like, so uh, originally, my why are we here? So purpose? Like, why like, is this whole big thing like the why is the universe here? Like, and what is my role here as a human being? Like, so uh, so then with that that you know four years you didn't have the question then you didn't have the answers. You know, 13.5 billion years ago, the universe started. That doesn't provide me. With the with a meaning, so uh, or even like a believable, really, <laughs> a it got back to the internal question. So then, what problems would motivate me to work every day and, and work hard? Like so, I look at the world around me. Like so, I, rather than the mass of the solar of the black holes in the center of the galaxy, there's a lot of problems here. That uh, well, first of all, those black hole problems are soon going to be solved by an AI. I realize this. Like uh, this. It's very mechanical, what I'm doing, very theoretical. Soon a robot will do this in seconds. Like, versus the real problems in this world, like poverty, disease, like uh, injustice, all these things, they go by uh, unattended by a lot of highly capable people like myself, because they're all drawn to these highly paying, dead-end consultant jobs where like a couple decades from now they'll be asking themselves, what's the purpose of my life? Like, how can I find purpose? Like,
0: I was lucky
1: to realize that at first, uh, uh, right after college, like because I went through already seeking that and realized, okay, astrophysics astrophysic didn't do that. So then I thought, well, I I have all these skills. I'm going to try to make all this money like uh, in finance so that I can use the money to do good deeds like uh, hospitals and schools and stuff like that. So I, I worked for a career in finance. Uh, I went in Guatemala. Then I went back and started my own hedge fund uh, with uh, another friend of mine. That was my first entrepreneurial experience. That was great. Uh, you know, we were right in the middle of the financial crisis, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. So I learned a lot. That, that first enterprise failed. You know, um, you know, a lot of people were, you know, of course, uh, swept away by uh, the financial crisis and the market's dropping fifty percent. We only lost thirty percent, so that was good. Uh, we outperformed I, I the market by twenty percent, but still bad enough to again question myself. Like, why am I doing? Like, I didn't like my day to day existence. Like, uh, making. Rich people more money and like just playing a digital game and like, you know, betting all my, all, all my goods, betting all my goods on the future. Uh, and in the meantime, doing a lot of bad. Like, so doing bad and doing bad to me and becoming bad myself. Well, for the promise of the ability to maybe do good in the future. So then I went back, I, I, I started, restarting again. I went back to Guatemala and I realized that like, I saw the Guatemala, I want to solve social problems, uh, and, the land of opportunity, you know, here with a, a population of young poor people, you know, mal- malnourished, uh, uh, majority of people in poverty, uh, 54% of people, not majority of people in poverty, but 54% of people lacking adequate housing, uh, 25% of people lack electricity, uh, 40% of people lack uh, clean uh, water, clean tubed water, uh, 60% of people lack uh, proper sanitation methods. So, that was uh, the context in which I got back to Guatemala. I was excited to start a business uh, with all this finance knowledge. I had acquired my three years in finance to start a social business, uh, that a business that solved the social or environmental problem. At first, I was mostly socially focused. So we I started a company called Kitsoul. I with a friend of mine uh, that uh, distributed solar-powered uh, LEDs. Uh, so a uh, solar-powered system that powered LEDs and charged your phone. So that was uh, my first company here in Guatemala. So that was my first social enterprise after my hedge fund. That was also a great learning experience. We distributed, console grew quite well because we, we produced in China a product that was much cheaper, like five times cheaper than the closest competitor that was still using CFLs. We knew that the LEDs had dropped a lot uh, in the wattage and the power requirements. So then the solar panel could be a lot smaller, so then the price could be a lot cheaper. So we... We put out a product to the market that was competitive on price with candles, which is what people were using. People candles are very dangerous. Children burn themselves sometimes, burn the whole house, uh, because a simple little sticks, uh, candle like this costs 25 cents. Then they burn it fall because like, and then they burn like uh, the table and then they burn the house. What they spent a year on candles is what our initial solar system cost, $200. So that, then became very competitive. We got them, uh, we got an alliance with a fine microfinance company and, and they lent them those two hundred dollars, so that they would pay off their kit over a year. Eventually, uh, the company the company went to a pay as you go model, uh, which is quite uh, popular uh, around the solar industry uh, for basic pyramid. And we got further investors, and uh, I I decided to I wanted to focus on like more holistic solution, uh, which is what I started out with. So was always kind of like the first part of casa in my mind, but the, the easiest thing, like the product that we could just like off the shelf. Out of the box, sell. Uh, whereas building is really hard, and <laughs> we really didn't know anything about construction. Capital raise allowed me to sell my stock in casa, and I bought a farm to build a village for for low income people. Uh, so I could test out the self sufficient house model, and that was that was a great learning experience. Also, like I'll fast forward to that because it's a long intro, but that's where I learned about sustainable construction a little bit, you know, uh, uh, and dealing with uh, people and 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 construction and labor and construction labor. Uh but then I realized that I some issues, uh it was really difficult. Uh security was an issue there, uh, you know, getting like the right uh, neighbors, like the right mindset, like I just so anyway, they helped me realize that I should start a company uh instead. Uh and rather than try to build a village, I should just build houses. Like start building individual self sufficient houses that provided all three services. So that was my main intention. Not just the energy, but after many because Several years of me being the technician and installing the solar power light bulbs, I realized a lot of these people still had the same. They were doing in poverty, material scarcity, because your black your your light bulb was now charred over with black smoke because you're still cooking indoor, uh, open air, uh, open air indoor cooking. You still don't have running water. You still don't have toilet. You're still a tin shack uh, and and, uh, and and stick house that doesn't protect you from anything.
0: It was a complex, it was a much more complex problem that required like a, a holistic, oh, encompassing solution. not. Just- yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. And so that was the holistic solution that even though I didn't know how to do anything about construction, I didn't know any construction. I, I knew that the product needed to be the house because the house was the platform through which these three vital services were delivered. Water, energy, and sanitation. So water through the capture of rainwater. So all our houses capture rainwater, filter them, and then purify it. So they become potable water. And pur- purifies it with clay filters, eco-filters, great company. Uh, solar energy. like So we produce photovoltaic energy in most houses. Uh, and, and solar, solar water heaters, where clients ask from. I mean, that's luxury. And the, uh, uh, the gray water and black water separation. So all wastewater gets separated and treated. So the gray water is like your waste water from shower, from the faucet, from the sink. So it's water that's mostly clean and can be used to like water plants. So we are it to a family garden. So when you're showering, you're watering your plants. That's the way it should be, always. Like that's water that's useful. And that's clean water that you're not drawing from anywhere else, Further from the water table or like the limited cistern or like. Water is a finite resource, fresh water is a known and demonstrated to be finite resource on this planet. <laughs> uh, there's no debate on that. Fresh water should be conserved as much as possible, and uh, all rainwater should be captured. I know some countries have the unfortunate situation of outlawing uh, rainwater capture, but uh, not in Guatemala. So we capture it from every roof and every surface we can, and we purify it for consumption. Uh, with a large enough citron to hold over for several months of dry season. So we do that for all houses, so that's the second axis, well, sanitation, the third. Black water gets also treated in its own underground system, whether it be a septic tank or a biodigester. I mean, the, the our houses produce no waste uh, in terms of those three axes, energy, uh, water, and waste. And our houses are made out of bamboo, mostly. As are our houses, that inside can look like this because we plaster them over. So bamboo is like any building material, like the U.S. knows that, that the U.S. is a huge building, uh, the largest construction industry in the world, and it's mostly built out of wood a, wood, a wood stick frame, and a wood wood sheathing covering, and then maybe some fiber cement uh, siding. So basically, the whole thing could be made with bamboo as well, uh, and bamboos are grass. Bamboo is a renewable resource. Uh, you cut bamboo, and it grows back, uh, because the mother plant has like 100 combs. 100 fingers So you cut one off like the mature one another one will grow in its place for decades as opposed to wood which are just tree cadavers uh and they take at least 30 years to grow uh and we don't have 30 years uh 30 years is 2053 times up by then so uh is in in arpen in the only option uh for massive massive carbon and that nature-based carbon capture. Uh, if we really want to get serious as the world about capturing carbon, bamboo needs to be massively unleashed. Nothing grows as fast and produces the highest quality uh, carbon fibers that will be the main component, the main prime raw goods in the 21st century's construction industry. Because the construction industry accounts for 33% of greenhouse gas emissions. Concrete and steel are so climate expensive because of their use of bunker and other uh, other derivatives of petroleum to power their industry. Let's go back
0: a second to Guatemala. You've decided to build Casa because you want to fix. You want to create this one solution that delivers the next level of service to communities. And I'm assuming, right? These communities have said don't can't afford a full concrete house with uh, the on the grid uh, solutions because the grid is not even there. And so Casa comes in, you start delivering these properties. I think from your website I've seen that up to now you've created 91 projects, so there has been success and uh, a great learning curve, I imagine. And I just want to understand a little bit more from you the impact, the local impact in the community into uh, introducing. This material that they have known because it was growing around, but maybe they have not seen utilized in a way that could be uh, looked at as beautiful as well as functional. Um, So how has that kind of maybe changed the perception of bamboo? And then in the the completion of your 90 plus project, what has been the the trajectory in the learning curve that now is leading you to do the other things that you're planning?
1: Fully commercial efforts. So we're a commercial company. Well, we started focusing on the lowest income housing we could get. It Like, what's the cheapest one single-family house we can make and make food sustainable? And that was $13,000. So it's cheap, relatively worldwide, but a lot of people don't have that. Like So the first client, Amilcar, he was like a Mayan teacher. Uh, He... Uh, a lot of people tell me that's a nice idea, but you haven't built anything yet, so I don't believe it. But Amilcar was already well-educated, uh, and he had seen bamboo houses on the internet. And he was like, wow, this, didn't know that this was uh, available to me in Guatemala. So, like, he, he went out on a limb, took a took a, a risk, uh, and, you know, he asked for a discount, of course, uh, and we gave it to him. And, you know, after that, like, then we just started dealing with clients. So we had to pay the bills. We're a company. Like, so... Uh, Eventually, these past ten years, like our our market has migrated. Like I mean, we're mostly middle income uh, serving now. Uh, middle and higher income. We serve some lower income, but it's still really difficult. Like uh, for people to get access to fifteen thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars, like uh, for the base of the pyramid. Now, you know, that's why we we serve the middle class. But then the middle class doesn't want a twenty thousand dollar house. They want a fifty thousand dollar house. So, like, that's the average house that we're selling now, 50,000 U.S. So, in that respect, it's a purely commercial company. That That's the average we sell houses anywhere from, like, 15 to 150. So, those are our ranges. Uh, the average is around 50, 55. So, anyway, uh, in that respect, we learn... Consistently, construction is a never-ending learning process. Like so, each client comes in with their own ideas, or their own designs. Like we have the architecture team, we have an engineering team, and a building team. So the the design team works with each customer and personalizes the solution. Like to the to the terrain, Guatemala is very diverse. So we have very different microclimates, topographies. We built on beaches, mountains, like cold, hot climates. Small houses, large houses, two stories uh, in North Creek firm regions, uh, on volcano sites, so uh, on rivers, lakesides. We've done it all. Like uh, and uh, bamboo is a great material, and that's to all needs and all. necessity. we've done, it we've even invited it to be done the world. We the largest bamboo installation. I say installation, not construction, because it was one of like an it's largest. Well, not art, but it is art. But it's an installation covering the whole facade of a of a commercial, uh, of a shopping mall in Guatemala. Very nice shopping mall, like, it's 11,000 square meters, and they covered it all with them. But it was also a large, one of our largest projects ever by value, just by monetary value. It was just, like, covering all the steel. Like, they just wanted to cover everything. So they did these inverted hexagonal trees covering all, like... All the 18 columns uh, and the entrances, all the ceilings, they were all covered with triangles uh, to, for indirect lighting and, like, to cover the uh, translucent plastic stuff on top. So, anyway, it started to be, like, really highlighted and uh, even on large or understood by large construction companies uh, and played through front of people as a veritable and respectable building material as it is, because there's more than 1,300 species of bamboo. And the typical that people use, the poor people use, and people see that people will use, is the yellow one. Um, the yellow one, uh, bambusa vulgaris uh, is quite nice to look at when it's live, but then it's quite, uh, it doesn't last that long. It's e- easily rots uh, because it's very sweet, so insects uh, really like it, and people don't know how to treat the bamboo. It's very simple. You can do it as simply as with salt. So that's also there in our on our website. So we try to promote the people. So then our those efforts on the community. So we have continued our efforts to promote this as much as possible at the base of the pyramid. So we realized after years of trying, like we will not be able to get that price to the houses cheap enough. Like people don't have 15, they don't have ten, they don't have five. Like they don't have anything. So like, what uh, uh, sacrifice ourselves like and sacrifice the quality that we are saying this needs to be the minimum. Like so like. The idea shouldn't be like to oh then we need to like sell them shoe boxes wrap boxes raffles um no, we need to make this available to everyone so get the banks working
0: i know. I know that at some point i remember I remember at some point you mentioned that you were also trying to bridge that gap of availability by creating partnership to. Um, facilitate financing, but that also was not very feasible in the long term, so you had to kind of let it. Yeah, go. yeah, it's not at all feasible.
1: In, in the long term, it is, and they're coming around to terms with it. It's just like, I mean, it's different requirements, you know, like land titling, like interest rates, like it's very sensitive. If you go from a 10 to a 20% interest rate, it's because a 20% interest rate will actually serve these informal clients that don't have legal pool hypothetical, sorry, not hypothetical, but, um, uh, mortgageable title, then you can only act the 20%. The 10% or 10% or 5% which make it affordable, mm-hmm. you need to borrow at least 30000 and have mortgageable title B. So, anyway, I mean, it's a long story, so the bank system just takes a while, uh, right. but, uh, I think
0: you' we'll right, but but, but Casa's doing well, so even even with the readjusting of that you know fifty thousand dollars so Casa's growing, the market is understanding the value of bamboo, and so your journey with bamboo got a little bit deeper, as I understand' because as you learn more about the potential of the the product in hand and the availability on the country, um you've expanded your connections, you started looking at other things, so tell me a little bit more about what it's coming, what is this next phase that interests you in the potential of bamboo?
1: Sure, but also to connect with your the last part of your question, like I started really connecting on a deeper level with bamboo through this program. We participated called the Climate Smart Forest Economy Program, which was uh, one of our efforts. Like we were invited by Dalberg and World Economic Forum. They were participating in a program called, well, they were uh, spearheading this program, the CSFP and they wanted to create local forest economies around the world and try to get people, uh, you know, uh, working models that could be scaled on how to create local forest economies so that we could create forest products and therefore value the forest and therefore reforest. That was great that we were. they gave us 100,000 euros that's for our concept of building do-it-yourself houses uh, in communities that were climate vulnerable, like Punta Brava, where we already worked, uh, and that a village that was – flooded by hurricanes Era and Ayota in 2020, the village becomes completely flooded, most of the houses flood completely, and these are very simple stick houses. so people rebuild them, it's a shock, you know, very few people die because it's a small community, like it's not like, it's, it's not like a tsunami, like they're in a lake, right? but they're within a lake and still like flood so much that like the whole village becomes like Venice, you know, these used to be 20 year events, they're happening more frequently. Uh, and it happened last time, but when I pitched to, uh, the, uh, to Dalberg, it happened in 2020. So they, I pitched, and we should, you know, it'd be great if these communities could have bamboo, so we should plant bamboo for them, and we should, uh, teach them how to grow and then build their own houses, uh, so that the next time the hurricane comes, they don't have to wait around for donations, as always happens, uh, or for cement bags or whatever. Like. So you need to come to terms with the fact that this is reality, and this is going to keep happening, and it's going to get worse. So if you want to keep living here, you should rebuild, and you should rebuild in a way that's intelligent, and you can grow your own building material. Bamboo's incredible carbon potential, because with our 100,000 euros, that funded two communities, uh, five hectares in each, and also a carbon study performed by individual consultants. It determined that each hectare of bamboo captures of hydrocomus asper, which is what we use, captures 120 tons of CO2 per hectare. You know, that's a bunch, and it captures that every year. And it's the only plant on Earth, like, as opposed to a tree plantation where you can't be sure if after 30 years and it grows to commercial size, the owner of that, or whoever got paid to grow that and is not going to just sell it off its firewood, burn it, and re-release the CO2 back onto the atmosphere. Like, there's no guarantee with that. So trees are the opposite, like, not the opposite, but like, unless you harvest trees to put into a long-term product that will be kept out of the carbon cycle for at least a hundred years, then trees that are harvested eventually go back into the atmosphere, like, unless you make them biochar, but then you introduce them to the lowest long-term part of the carbon cycle. Uh, but very few people do that with trees, um, so either that or long-term products. But bamboo, what you don't even need to worry about. It. All you need to do is harvest it. As long as you harvest it, well, actually harvest it and not burn it. If you harvest it, it just sends a signal to the mother plant to grow a new one. So it will start recapturing the same carbon that you just harvested. So if, the, if you don't harvest it, the mother plant stalls. It, ceases to capture more and then it starts to wither and eventually allegedly it starts to re release the CO two back onto the atmosphere. Of course it shed a lot of tree a lot of leaves and branches which make up about twenty percent of the total CO two storage in that bamboo plantation. Then the seed system makes up another like thirty percent storage.
0: But so let me let me ask you a question: As they are starting to discover it, how are they are they taking it seriously enough for this to become a solution, or is it still like at the stage of it's a beauty, material, we still don't know? Or is it re- there's really like a a force movement that is going full on into doing something serious with bamboo as a construction material? Okay, tell us more.
1: Well, there's several there organizations, Inbar, the, the, the International Institute for Bamboo and Rattan, that's based in China, uh, the World Bamboo Organization, uh, that's based in the U.S., and many researchers in Europe, uh, they already have great solutions. There's some countries, there's already five countries that have a construction a code with bamboo uh, for, like, whole, whole construction, like we do, uh, and Inbar in uh, and also the United States are already working on, uh, they already have structural Codes for engineered bamboo. so that makes huge beams like so you can make huge columns, you can basically press them in the factory and take them. So then you basically have an engineered product with A, an n degree of physical parameter that you want. What I, what I mean is you can design it and build it to meet any code. And bamboo is stronger than pine and stronger than Douglas fir, which is the timber that's grown commercially and used for cross laminated timber. Pine and fir, and if you use a cross laminated bamboo, which does exist already, there's tests. We have everything. Cross laminated bamboo is harder than hardwoods, harder than CLT, and harder than uh, uh, well any other sort of plywood or any other sort of wood agglomerate. Because glue bam, sorry, glue lam and cross laminated timber are the two engineered mass timber solutions. Glue lam, CLT. Glue Band and CLB are better in basically every way. But it's just a process. It takes a little bit of time. Uh, I know personally I was a speaker at the European Bamboo Expo, uh, three months ago. Now two months ago in Germany. I met a lot of great people there. And yeah, I'm seeing like the initial kernels of action that are eventually going to lead to, uh, also a structural code of bamboo uh in Europe. And after you have that then boom, then the plug is open because now everyone can actually now build. Like but what it takes is just some precedence. Uh so someone working through their own local legislation uh and establishing uh, I know some architects, uh Robert Van Katz, uh BKDB architects, uh work they work with Atelier One, uh which are the best engineering firms in terms of the world, uh they're in Britain. Uh, they've done, they did, Atelier One did uh, the engineering for uh, the ARC uh, at Ibuku, uh, which won Engineering Project of the Year, not just bamboo, like worldwide, Engineering Project of the Year, was a bamboo building designed uh, by Ibuku and engineered by uh, Atelier One. And we know Atelier One uh, through Robert Van Katz, who's a Dutch architect, and he's already working on a project to be the first structural Great bamboo project in in Amsterdam, uh, four stories. <laughs> but it started with something because you have to go through all the different barriers and all the different obstacles and fire codes. And once you pass that locally, then that becomes precedent in the European Union. So then the European Union will then establish its own engineered bamboo code, and then they'll need millions of hectares, millions of hectares of bamboo per year, uh, which is right now don't exist. Which, which go hand in hand. Which we need to do this now. We, we want to capture as much carbon as quickly as possible, as soon as possible. It goes hand in hand with feeding tomorrow's feedstock for the construction industry, which is inevitably going in the in the way of construction with biofibers, compressed engineered biofibers, because those are carbon negative. That means we're seeing carbon captured as we're Looking at the building, there's the carbon captured right there. There's your 80 stories worth, uh, 3,000 tons of carbon, You're what you're seeing. It took Portland cement and reinforced concrete a few decades to establish itself. It does with biofibers. But by 2050, I do expect the momentum to be massive and for most new construction to be happening with structural
0: biofibers and you're re- you're right in the middle of it because eh? since your speech um, at the European bamboo Expo, you kind of catalyzed this uh, positive energy into creating momentum for Guatemala to be the host of the world bamboo workshop, which is happening when and where and what's going to happen there tell us yeah so the
1: world bamboo workshop uh thanks well that was part of, that was because of the world uh, the European bamboo Expo, but more because of you know, after we built those houses that were meant to, you know, we built the do-it-yourself houses to be hurricane resistant. Uh, literally, uh, like six months later, another hurricane hit in Punta Brava, flooded again. So it flooded two years only after it flooded again. Uh, in Arellano, that was a great test of our houses, which performed greatly. Uh, you know, uh, the only houses on skates, uh, and people, they were able to shelter people because they're built uh, up top, so they're built elevated now. Uh, bamboo allows you to do long, long uh, spans, uh, free-floating uh, spans, uh, which you can't do economically with concrete. So bamboo allows us to lift everything off the ground uh, really cheaply. You can just do compound beans like that. And then it becomes, like, harder than – I mean, uh, anyway uh, – the so that was what uh, got the World Bamboo Organization to invite us to be hosts of the World Bamboo Workshop, which is a yearly event uh, where people gather in a country around the world. Uh, and So we asked if we could do it in Punta Brava, which is the village that we were we building. So to keep building up the village, you know, to uh, keep and make it a really shining example of how a village at the very edge of climate battle, because they will be underwater by 2050 Punta Brava. You'll be there. You need to rebuild. If you want to keep living here, because you're not, you don't have, like, you can't buy inland because people own inland. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> so, anyway, if you're going to stay here, you need to build high up, and you need to build with bamboo, like, you need to rebuild and rethink everything. Uh, so, that's what the process of doing. Again, like, it's a small village, 50 houses, so there is a good chance to rebuild everything with a million dollars. With that, we can rebuild all, all houses. It's not that difficult uh, to rebuild for all these villages along Central America, not just Guatemala, that could really benefit from being the owners of the assets, of the owners of the raw material. And this is a very female-friendly value chain, as opposed to concrete. Have, have you ever, a picture of whoever uh, is listening to this, if you haven't, then Google it. What does a factory... What does a what does a quarry and a cement factory look like? Look at Google videos like, what does it look like from up top from a like, drone shop? Like, what do you think that feels like to Mother Earth? Go look at a bamboo forest. Like go look at... Uh, and that is the we're switching this production mine to this mine. This mine is a forest. And this mine Can be tended to and harvested by women with hand tools. No energy required to harvest. That's how we've been doing it for years. Women can seed, uh, can cure, can harvest, can do everything. Can run the splitting plants. So you can ship, can load the containers, can operate the machines to press the bamboo in. So women could, all these sub or underemployed women in all these coastlines and all these villages with these ancient patriarchal mindsets.
0: To become business owner and participate in the wealth and the and safety of their own villages and
1: yeah. securing their kids. Exactly, exactly. And then the rest of the world benefits from having an ample fiber basket that it doesn't have now, it doesn't know it, it doesn't, still knows it needs yet.
0: Is that what you're gonna be discussing or exploring during the World Bamboo Workshop? What's gonna happen in those days? All these people that have knowledge in bamboo, what are you gonna to do together? I'm just super curious.
1: Well, yeah, uh, yeah, we're gonna build. So there's like the World Bamboo Workshop. What it does is it, it teaches people like uh, advanced bamboo construction techniques. So if people like to sign up and and pay to go to the event. They they expect to to learn how to build with bamboo uh so we're going to build a really nice uh pavilion uh, for the for the community we've built some public bathrooms uh so it'll be you know of course raising awareness are going to be a, a track so different tracks construction track also a furniture track we have some furniture experts from around the world bamboo uh, furniture experts, uh teach uh you know local women and local people like how to make these how to make these crafts and how to make a living like not just buildings. Bamboo, you can make so many things. They said, "Look at these glasses; like they're made of bamboo. Look at this, like beautiful lamp that's made out of bamboo. You can make anything out of bamboo. Paper, my underwear right now is bamboo, uh, and it's silky smooth."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Too much information. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, well, well, after the world, the, the world uh, bamboo workshop. What is the next phase for the community of Punta Brava? For uh, what the DIY um, sort of housing kit is concerned, and what are the next steps there? Um, are you looking to create a maybe a foundation that deals with that? Because you mentioned before, CASA is for profit. So how are you going to manage this other arm of uh, community-driven and, and supported initiatives?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, it, I think it would be a good idea for us to set up a nonprofit uh, foundation or something like as we do work more internationally, and uh, fortunately – The, the, uh, climate smart forest economy program was very pleased with our work. Uh, they've, uh, they reached out recently to talk about the possibility of, of, uh, fundraising, uh, to scale the program more, to scale it to the next step. So funding another five villages, say, so that we could do, replicate this, so so that we can now get a nice little cluster around, like, uh, and actually get momentum to that more villages start replicated autonomously, you know, rather than having, so, so. Then we go to phase two, which is five villages, uh, and then phase three then we could do fifty doses. And then after that, like it is a snowball factor. People see like wow, these people are really doing great. Like the does grow really fast. And like now then by by then they'll be able to produce their own seeds, like and they'll be able to have enough practice to like know that they can do it themselves.
0: Where can we uh find uh The species, um, the bamboo species that are necessary for this construction work and that can anybody attempt to grow them or it's only like in the more tropical countries or is there more science now that helps us grow bamboo maybe even here in the desert where I'm, where I live in Dubai or, uh, can we look at there are other areas that are attempting something like this or not
1: yet? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of efforts. Bamboo is a very resilient plant. It grows on every continent except, uh, it grows Indigenously on every continent except Europe, uh, and, uh, but now there's efforts by a commercial a company called, uh, Bamboo Logic, uh, they're growing mozo in Portugal. Mozo is one species that's used a lot. That's the main species. The, the species that's most common in the world is mozo. Uh, that's what the want the Bam the, the Chinese have. Mozo is a great species for using all, that's what all the chopsticks, all the plates, all the bamboo, toilet paper, all the bamboo products any of you all might have purchased, most likely are made from mussel in China, uh, because that uh, bamboo is very soft, very pliable, and very uh, easy to work with. But it's not good for structural applications. You need Asper guadoa, verpichilata, and other species that grow mostly in the tropical regions. So... Between the tropics, tropic, between the Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, uh, is usually the ideal conditions. In the desert, yeah, I'm sure you could. In fact, I am sure. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. Uh, you're gonna count. you're gonna come. No, yeah, I'm gonna come prove it, yeah. Bamboo would help on because bamboo is quite resilient. Bamboo is actually a water camel. Bamboo stores water, uh, And it's cold. It just needs a lot of water in its first couple of years. In the first couple of years, when it's a baby, it's sensitive. It's sensitive to not having enough water and having too much sun. So, like, to go to the desert, you just need some sort of light shade mechanism, like, uh, for the first two years. So, and it can just be a rotating, maybe one of those huge solar concentrated plants. Well, you're creating, or anywhere where there's like some sort of shade that's going to be temporary, grow them there, two years, with drip irrigation, once the plant starts, its rhizome system starts building up, you start building up carbon, because they start dropping leaves on top of the sand, they start creating shade so for other microorganisms, and they retain water, so they retain water that keeps moisture on the top levels. Because its root system is really small hairs. It's white hairs. They almost look like a fungi. Uh, But (laughs) anyway, I'm not sure, but I'm highly confident that you could grow an amazing bamboo plantation in the desert. And it'd be fascinating to see the knock-on effects. uh, Because I'm sure it would be dramatic. It's it's a bridge species. It's used to reforest or forest. Precisely because of that. It's a quite resilient plant after it makes it through its like childhood and that allows the other species to move in because now there's something other than sand and sun. <laughs> so, now <laughs> right. there's shade and water.
0: Well, while we think about how we can uh, we can run that experiment, um, what are the next steps in the vision of... Uh, Creating this um, um, sort of carbon capture bamboo forest that also become like a, your home in the backyard for this fragile community. Where are you at with that? What is your vision? What do you see? When do you see something actionable and
1: coming to fruition? My next project is I involve basically helping these two huge markets that both need each other. So all these communities, they need to kickstart their bamboo plantations. They need to get the seeds, grow it, um, into it. You know, it's easier said than done. Everything requires resources. You need to commit your land to this crop. Although it's great about bamboo that you can allow intercropping. So you, and all that we're promoting is, uh, bamboo agroforestry. So you grow with other things. You grow with your food crops. From year one to year end, end. If we get from year one to two, actually, all the members have, of course, some shade plants around. Like, if you have some trees around, it can provide some <laughs> initial shade. And then, once the boom starts growing, harvest a couple, some of the trees. Trees can coexist with the members. So, anyway, just a few, so just having some shade. But uh, every condition is different. But point is, we need to get these communities to get kick started and start their plantations. We have the goal of uh, reforesting a million hectares of bamboo in Central America. So, we think that this can be coupled with the other huge market, which is all these companies that need to offset their emissions. Whatever people say about carbon credits, and of course there's been a lot of fraud, and a lot of problems with the unregulated carbon industry like, so far. Really unregulated. It's been a wild, wild west. The voluntary carbon market industry, Last year was two billion dollars, uh, because all these all this money is waiting in the sidelines, uh, and all these capital, uh, all these net zero commitments that companies are making, and yeah, most of them are not like fulfilling. Not to just them; on the contrary, they're like a market that needs to get served, and a market that's not getting served because there's not an available supply of high quality, high integrity uh, carbon credits. So that's why the world is really moving in that direction. If you see the Integrity Council and Voluntary Carbon Market, that's headed by Annette Nathara. She was the former head of the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States. That's the most powerful financial watchdog in the world. She was the most powerful financial watchdog in the world. And she's now leading the efforts to uh, regulate the Voluntary Carbon Market, which is this marketplace where like companies can ex- in exchange directly with the carbon capturers. So companies can directly engage with farmers, communities, uh, without having to go through the government of Guatemala. Now the technology is getting regulated. Uh, will be liquid. will be like any other asset class. So it'll grow 200x at least. So, uh, and it's trillions of dollars, not 500 billion. There's trillions of dollars if companies actually have to fulfill their climate pledges. And they will have to. You will be ready to
0: capture the opportunity when your project. That's the that's the opportunity. Yes. So I, I just wanted to close with a with a with a big question. So what do you need? If you need anything, what is it that you need from whoever is listening or the community at large, uh, to in order to serve and support this vision of a making bamboo widely accessible, accepted building material, but especially increasing production, especially for Guatemala where you're at. And to to support the venture of, you know, creating jobs for these women that could potentially own these bamboo plantations and be contributor of the carbon capture solutions that all these companies need. What would you want to see happen?
1: Thanks. Uh, well, I mean, the best thing you could do, I think what people want to support is just become clients. You know, we'll be uh, able to have this up and running really fast, like, uh, because we're, we're this is, we're, we're bringing down the cost of certification because with this carbon capturing machine, we know exactly how much it captures. So, user-fed data. People are just going to have to be able to take pictures, uh, with, with their GPS or not, of the, of the plant. And that becomes unauthenticated geo-referenced carbon capturing natural machine that's there uh, and you and every year you want to collect your carbon uh, your carbon money you need to upload pictures of your hundred plants and your hectare that you plant uh, and that's verified also with satellite imagery so it's cheap you don't need this thirty thousand dollar expenditure which costs now to get your vera certified to go there and do the inventory of your forest stock and like with lidar technology for all the layers to see which species of trees it's really complex stuff now with bamboo it's not
0: becoming clients and getting involved is the best and direct first way to do it but we don't have a name yet for this amazing venture that you're la- that you're launching so we can't really push it out yet
1: it feels tough but uh we will have it very soon so by year's end we will have this uh
0: when do you hope to be up and running, so that we can circle back when you are and do another conversation, just and specifically about how we can get more people involved and uh, um, more more solid uh, plans? What do you say? End of year. Sure. Yeah. By end of
1: year, we'll be ready to. Have, I mean, we already have some prototype plantations. Uh, we have seeds. We have land. We have water. We have people. So we're ready to like for anyone to sponsor. A farm. If you want to sponsor a group of women, uh, and we we're, we're, anything helps us. And, and what's great about us is we're creating the world's highest quality nature-based carbon offsets. Like, and we we're quite confident when we we'll say the highest quality because it's going to be the most transparent. You're going to be able to know, go know exactly where your money went. You're going to, be able to know that Juanita Perez received your money, and you want to help Juanita additionally. Then you, you have here's your contact uh, information, and yeah, you'll tell us how how great. Your bamboo growing, and uh, so anyway, we already have that up and going. So we're, we're able to do this now. Like we're live, uh, so we're live uh, on a bespoke one-to-one basis. You know, someone wants to sponsor uh, a farm or village, like, or they want to sponsor a number of hectares. Maybe they're an individual. They don't need to offset. They don't have a commitment, and they commitment. But you wanna, you wanna, you maybe you've done your own personal carbon calculator, and you know that you. That you're on the hook for 500 tons a year, uh, you and your family, we'd be happy to like set you up with uh, your sponsorship of that 500 tons. Like, that you know I'm not going to like some sort of empty airline pledge or some sort of meaningless Samsung on your phone, like a donation device. That's going to directly a Guatemalan Central American family that you're going to have a contact info you can talk to on 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 WhatsApp, whenever, like, you're welcome to go visit them and go plant the bamboo yourselves. Like, take your family vacation and make it more meaningful. Like, those 500 tons that you just offset are real. They have a name and last name and a place that you went and you helped the humans grow with yourself. So I think that's the best possible experience you can have uh, in terms of linking up those two markets and why we can say without a doubt that it's going to be the best, the highest quality nature-based offset. So anyone can get involved from now, uh, and you can sponsor from as little as, as, little as you can, uh, and it will be uh, useful because it will be more data for us. So that we actually launch massively next year. We'll have more hectares. Right now we have like 20 hectares uh, on the prototype, already georeferenced and already. That's
0: fantastic. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to see this
1: and
0: with a name so that I can shout out the name and direct people to it. Um, come and visit. Um, I hope I can be there at the World Bamboo Workshop. That would be so much fun. Great. Um, and if I can't, I hope you will share videos and pictures so that we can do a follow-up from that about the, lear- the learnings and the impact on the local community because I guess it's not just prestigious that you've managed to bring it to... Punta Brava, but it's also how the local communities are going to benefit exactly. from the interactions. They're, on both sides, everybody's going to learn a lot, and it's going to be an everlasting impact. If not, ju- not for the bamboo, just for the human level of interaction. So thank you so much. It's always so exciting to talk to you and, uh, and hear about how you dedicate your life full on to the bamboo revolution. And um, I'm looking forward to catch up soon again and talk more. Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you so much. Always great to talk to you and thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Influencers for Good podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, check our news platform, influencersforgood.blog for more content about our guests or to collaborate with us.